1: inside the game of politics with pat mccrory is presented by felix savannas mercedes-benz of south charlotte charlotte's premier mercedes-benz dealer and the carolina's number one volume sales leader over 300 new and 200 pre-owned vehicles always available visit MBCharlotte.com. as a governor mayor businessman i know the game been played by the game now we are exposing the game for you this is inside the game of politics with pat mcrory Chris Swecker is a former assistant director of the FBI. In fact, he was the head of cyber and criminal divisions for the entire FBI in the United States of America. He has 30 years of experience in law enforcement, national security, legal corporate security, and risk management. He served 24 years with the FBI and was responsible for nine divisions, including its criminal, crisis response, operational technology, and international operations units. And he was also... He was also chairman of the Governor's Crime Commission under my leadership as governor, 74th governor of North Carolina. He did a great job heading up the Governor's Crime Commission and a good friend too. And it's our honor to have uh Chris Swicker on our podcast. It's good to be here, Governor. One question, three-part question. Give me an example of the good, the bad, and the outrageous or funny that you've personally encountered in politics. Now, even though you were the FBI over 30 years, You have to deal with politics in the FBI, and boy, are we learning that in just some recent news uh, with some chief executive who may have been recruited by the FBI, but we'll talk about that later. But Chris, let's first, the good in politics that you saw through your extensive experience with the FBI.
0: Yeah, I mean, there there were...
1: And with the governor of North Carolina, I might add. You were my... Head of the, my crime commission for four years.
0: Exactly. Now, now you're going to steer me in towards the crime commission. All the great things we did on the crime commission <laughs> together. I, I see where you're going. With that. Oh my gosh, you've <laughs> caught me. Yeah. Tell me the great things I did. No, we Tell did. Me we some... did a lot of great things with human trafficking and and uh, uh, opioids and a lot of other things. Getting funneling money. The way, into the Well you just right mentioned hands.
1: human trafficking. Yeah. Is there a lot of human trafficking by the going on in North Carolina and in the nation right now?
0: There's a good amount. it's It's unseen, and I know a lot of people are talking about human trafficking, but they don't really know what they're talking about most of the time. I mean, it's unseen. It's in hotel lobbies, it's at truck stops, it's at special events, even the furniture mart up in High Point. Any, any special event or large event, or any area where you have a whole lot of uh, money? Yeah, exactly. Money and a lot of wealthy people at the same place at the same time. So yeah, it exists. You don't see it, and what's what's strange about it is law enforcement sometimes um, misses the human trafficking angle because they're arresting an adult woman who's twenty-one or twenty-two or twenty-three. Right. When they don't realize and they don't ask the questions that they don't dig into it to see that they were pressed, they were forced into servitude when they were fourteen or fifteen or sixteen. And maybe they're even forced
1: at the age of twenty-one. Yeah, they're like slaves at twenty-one or fourteen or fifteen. Exactly, and they get them through what drugs, money, drugs, passports. Money, a lot,
0: a lot of it is uh, people from Eastern Europe or other parts of Asia who are brought here with the promise of the dream, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as they get here, you know, modeling job, uh, you know, a, a nanny job or some sort of housekeeping job, and then they get here and immediately their passports are taken, they're chained up, they're locked up, they're starving, they don't have any identification, they owe everything to these people. They're told they have to work it off and pay them back for their fare over here. And, and, and they hook and, them on drugs? Hook them on drugs. Um, one trafficking victim that I got to know pretty well said it was a lot like, uh, this is crudely put, but she, she uh, likens it to how the circus trains elephants. Wow. You know, here's, they, they, they teach them with pain and, with, and withholding food and withholding, you know, it's, all the necessities. And the elephant, even if the elephant could get away at some point, They won't do it. She said, even when I had opportunities to get away, I was so indoctrinated. I was so brainwashed that I I couldn't bring myself to walk away and leave the hotel or or jump out of the car. I would see policemen 10 feet away and I wouldn't approach them.
1: Well, we talked about we want to talk about the good in politics. Is there some good in politics in which we're trying to stop
0: this right now? Sure. I mean, I, I've you know I've dealt with, uh, as the head of the FBI in North Carolina, I dealt with state and local politics. Right. I also dealt with national politics at, uh, on a national and international and scale. And I knew
1: this as Governor and as mayor that That's we had right. serious human trafficking issues Sir. here. And the young kids, minors, and some yeah. of it's related to cartels coming across the border, too.
0: No doubt about it. I was going to uh, say, you said, what's, where's the good in politics? Yeah. Um, there are there are politicians who fear the FBI, and there are politicians that are willing to work with the FBI. You were one of the uh, politicians that were willing to work with us on 9-11. Uh, we had gotten to know each other in 99 that's when I came man. here. You were the mayor. Um, we we met, and we, we hit it off pretty good. And, and when 9-11 happened, I would pick up the phone and call you, or you would call me if you had a question. Your offices I would call were you right in downtown, like the, five
1: blocks from the— Mayor's office.
0: Exactly. Uh, you ran drills, you know, to get ready for a disaster should it happen. We talked about targeting, where targets were, what could be done to protect them. If there was intelligence to be had, you had a clearance. Uh, you were willing to go through the background to get a clearance, and others were as well. And so we had a, a collaboration going. You know, And I mean? it was
1: all behind the scenes. We didn't right. do this in front of the cameras. Right. And we talked about, if I recall, even the building you were in, if I recall, you were in the old Wachovia building. That's right. And we had to we had to protect your building. That's right. Because we were worried that your offices right. might be targeted by. If I recall, your offices right. could have been targeted by terrorists after nine eleven.
0: Yeah, you had uh, Daryl Stevens as police chief, mm-hmm. Bob Schermeyer as deputy chief, and others who were really, really, very professional. Um, none of that antagonism between the feds and and the local police department. We worked together. But that all comes from the top. That all starts at the top. That's the culture, and that's the tone that that starts at the top. No egos. Just put it all aside and just work together. And it worked well. We had it it down.
1: And who would have imagined just a few years later, uh, with a different mayor, the FBI would have been doing a sting with Mayor Pat Cannon uh, in my old office, (laughs) who at one time was my mayor pro tem, and my family mentored him as a young kid. And who would have imagined we'd gone from that, even here in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, to a sting where a mayor is taking $25,000.
0: You know, you want to talk about a funny, a funny story sure. in politics. I, I knew all the FBI agents who worked the case, and I won't name the agents, but I remember uh, after the case was over, I, I ran into one of the agents who was one of the undercover agents, and he said, you don't realize this, but you almost blew our case with, with the mayor, Pat." Uh, Pat, uh, well, cannon, Pat cannon yeah. yeah, not Pat McCormick. Yeah, Pat Pat sure. I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, we were had, we had set up an undercover meeting with him at a, a, a coffee shop. I won't name the coffee shop either." And he said, uh, "We were all set up, and and everything was set, and there was a meeting taking place, and the undercover, you know, the undercover was meeting with the mayor." And I, he said, I came walking in. You came and, walking in. And I was. I had a meeting there with... When, and you uh, weren't with were the FBI no, I at the was, time. No, I, was, I had retired and gone on, and now I was practicing law. <laughs> right. And I was meeting a client there, and I walked right in. And, of course, the radios just start buzzing, sweckers in, in the room. Oh. And if I had, you know, I didn't know what was going on. If I had walked up to the undercover agent and said, hey, and called him by his right name, the whole case would have been blown out of the water right there. So... So what happened? Did you well, see them? I didn't see him. He had hair down to his shoulders and he was a totally different appearance. And even if I saw him, I may not have recognized him at the time, but it was it was they said it was a close call.
1: If this was in a movie and remade into a movie where, you know, how did they get the mayor of Charlotte in a sting? That yeah. would be a scene in the movie where they're meeting in a coffee shop. I can guess which coffee shop and. Here comes the former head of the FBI walking in, and
0: he was one of my favorite agents. I mean, he is a good. So you solid would have recognized agent. him. Yeah, absolutely. Do you
1: think you would have gotten suspicious seeing his hair, or you, would you have gone, "What the hell have you done with your hair and uh, mustache?" Yeah. Hey, mayor, a, how are you doing? I think
0: I might have spontaneously said, "Hey, so and so, would uh, you need to get a haircut or something?" I it was it I I probably would have greeted him. You know, I just I wouldn't have been. Thinking yeah, about that of course.
1: You right. would have never thought that they'd be doing a sting on the mayor of Charlotte. Right, right. What a story.
0: Yeah, well, that and was an when unusual did, case, too.
1: When did you find out that you about blew the case? Was it long probably, after probably he was a year arrested? Later. year later. You know, I was governor at the time, and I, I talked to Pat Cannon on the phone that morning. We were having an airport issue. Remember the airport controversy? And yeah, I called up did. Mayor Cannon, and I, I was governor of North Carolina. Pat, we got to do some this. Airport controversy is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just ridiculous let's let's get together and meet and that was probably a half an hour to an hour before he was arrested and i went on to an event at meredith college or some peace college in raleigh and came out of the event and all these media were waiting for me coming out of a function and asking me "What, what do you think about pat cannon getting arrested by the fbi and it was just i was on the phone with him in fact i said that i said well i was on the phone with him two hours ago and i was waiting for the oh so you had something to do with this
0: you know, political corruption is probably the hardest thing mm. for the FBI to work because there's this thing we call quid pro quo. I'll give you money, and I want you to do this. Right? It's never spoken. It's always a wink and a nod, or it might be a cam- you know a campaign contribution and a wink and a nod, and it's understood. In this case, there was a very clear converse- There were clear conversations. I'm giving you this money, and you're going to do this, this, and this. It was one of the most clear-cut cases of political corruption. And I assume that investigation
1: was started because they had heard about.
0: Right. That's called predication. To open up a political corruption case on a public official, elected official, or a a publicly appointed official at a certain level, you have to have a significant amount of predication. That is enough information that a reasonable person would believe that this person was involved in criminal activity using his office. Or well, you know,
1: office. it's ironic, and I haven't said this publicly before. When Pat was, Patrick, who, first of all, my brother and I helped mentor him as a young boy when he was 13, 14. Right. I helped teach him how to swim and dive. Villa Hermosa apartment swimming pool. So he was a part of our family. But one time when he was mayor, when he was mayor pro tem, um, and the Bobcats were coming to Charlotte, and they were trying to get an ownership team, I was at an event at the Duke Mansion. And, um, I was going to give the welcome, but after I give the welcome, I left because it's not my job to be a part of the business of other owners. Well, Pat Cannon stayed. And I said, Pat, what are you staying for? And he stayed. And I I found out that he was doing, trying to create business through the Bobcats. And yet he had voted on items related to the arena and the Bobcats. And so I had to bring Mac McCarley and who you knew. Right. And, the next day, and I brought Pat in the office. Say, Pat, this is your. You can. You had a conflict of interest. I just found out you're right. trying to get an ownership group together, and uh, yeah. we actually gave him a letter of warning. I was never called, by the way, on that whole thing. I was never called by the FBI mm-hmm. on that whole thing. And you know, I was mayor. He was mayor pro tem. Now, I didn't know of any. I never heard of any rumors whatsoever during my term. Had
0: I? Well, you know. apparently, there was a lot of information. Uh, you, you have to have more predication for yeah. a, a corruption case than you have, yeah. would have for, say, a gang case or some yeah. other type of crime. So, it, And then it has to go up to the Department of Justice. They have to approve it, which doesn't have to happen in a lot of other cases. So there must have been a lot of information floating around. But there.
1: there's actually a letter somewhere in City Hall where I and Matt McCarley give him a warning letter about potential conflicts of interest, uh, you where you c- vote, you vote and you have a conflict of interest and you should have declared your conflict of interest. That was the conflict it wasn't money that I know of being passed around but I brought the lawyer in and and demanded that Pat be given a letter you know smart I,
0: people will check with their lawyers or their ethics people if there's even a hint of conflict and yeah. you need to develop a, a radar mm-hmm. for for at least recognizing where there might be a conflict you know in public office particularly if you have a business going at the same time and you're both a private person private business person and a public official yeah
1: it's a fine line in politics, Indeed. and I, I think only two or three times in my political life have I given been even given an pr- impression there's a quid pro quo, you know, where yeah. you, you know I, I'm giving you this money, but you know how I feel about this, and right, mean you just walk out. You have to. You walk out.
0: It's it's interesting. We you know we worked uh, Speaker Black, uh, for many years. You were years, involved in that for many years. Uh, Speaker Jim Black, former right.
1: Speaker of the House for North Carolina, right. right. Um, who took money in a, um, in a...
0: In the bathroom of a restaurant. Steak very, restaurant in yes. downtown Charlotte. Yes. That was another case where there was a pretty clear quid pro quo. You know, it was actually spoken. I want you to do this. For, I'm going to give you some money, and I want you to do this, this, and this. But it doesn't happen that often in political corruption cases. That's what makes them so very difficult to prove because it's it's in politics sometimes value is given and things are just understood. You know, if you look yeah. at it, I, I delve a little bit into politics and take the email investigation, the famous email investigation yeah. on Hillary yeah. and the foundation. Right. More, the more, Clinton Foundation. More so the Clinton Foundation, where there's a thing we call stream of services. You don't have an express quid pro quo, but you have money going to something and value coming back over a, a, a series of, uh, you know, a, a, a period of time and a series of events and you can match the money up with the service. There's nothing said. Right. But you can match the money up with service and it becomes a pattern. And in that case, I would contend that, that there is a stream of services for w- during the time that, that uh, Hillary Clinton was secretary of state where value was going in one direction and money was going to the foundation. For example, just securing a meeting uh, with the secretary of state. Some study that I saw said over half the people that were able to secure a meeting with her at, while she was Secretary of State were also contributors wow. to her to the foundation. So I, I'm curious to see if that case has actually been. You know, really when I was both reopened. governor
1: and mayor, occasionally, you know, we as politicians go to the rich people for donations, and you know, in a way, you're you know, you know they have the money, you need the money, you give the money, and you hope you don't give them any more. Um, Accessibility than you would anyone else, but to be truthful. You do take their calls. I mean, it's just, right. If you if you're truthful, you take their call, right. When they call, and you know, you always swallow and go, Wait a minute, am I ta- would I take any Joe Blow's calls, who didn't give any money?
0: Yeah.
1: It, it's yeah. it's an there is an access issue if you give money, and on the other end of the spectrum, Chris, I've had people who wanted pictures with me. And I noticed my picture on their wall, along with other politicians, and I found out we may have been used for their credibility, business credibility. Well, I knew Pat McCrory, the governor, therefore I'm okay to do business with. And maybe they weren't okay, but it gave them that credibility. And, you know, we've had controversy here in, in this True. area, too, with major business people True. who used to give a lot of political fundraisers. True. Right. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's- an individual
1: recently committed suicide. Yes. Who I knew extremely well.
0: Yes. Yeah. I um, I think politics is a tough business. From that perspective, there's a gray think area it's there. Tough being, you know, a politician as a leader. Yeah. But to me, navigating the mind. Oh, I've been approached by people both
1: in the private and public sector, and you start going, "Wait a minute, what's really going on here?" After a month right. or two, and you're going, "What do they really need me for?" And I've then yeah. left, and but you.
0: Whew. Yeah, you you wonder if going to publicly funded campaigns is actually a, a, a decent thing to do. But then, then anybody who has no support could find yeah. their way into politics. And so actually it's, there it's is federally funded
1: thing. campaigns and the presidential candidates sure. don't want it anymore. Barack Obama was the first one who didn't take the federal money right. to win around it so he could raise serious money. Right. Well, so – you've talked about some good human trafficking us working together um sure. governor's crime commission and also as mayor Charlotte and, and governor um we've talked about some of the bad too um what's what's kind of the worst you've seen uh with politics and and uh oh, gosh. you've you've told us some stories already that just kind of inside information where that's kind of humorous i mean where you yeah. almost messed up it's almost a dark comedy
0: yeah yeah, it's it. I I always go back to nine eleven. You know, it's 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 such a it was such a stark thing at the time. Yeah, it was so big, and it, it was a time when a lot of um, a lot of politicians were battling. One we well, first they were trying to show that they were supportive. Yeah, and I remember getting a call from Senator Burr at the time asking if he Senator come, Richard Burr Richard from North Burr, Carolina. Uh, this was days after nine eleven, saying, "What can I do to help you? Can I can I support you? I'd like to come visit and hear what right. you have to say." So he he came down and we, we did a we had a nice visit right and we gave him a lot of information because he was on the intelligence committee and he stayed for about three hours and he asked good questions and then he left out the back door. Um, senator Edwards called like almost the next day and he wanted to do the same thing. John Edwards, John former senator in North Carolina, former so presidential came down. candidate, exactly. Right, he came down. He flirted with my assistant for about five minutes. Came in, <laughs> spent about twenty minutes in listening to us. Called a press conference, dragged me into the lobby, and we did a press conference. And, a, and I realized later we'd just been used. He was
1: running for president.
0: He was that was before, but yeah, he was but getting, he, was, he was preparing to. But you could, you, you just had this seedy feeling of being used. And I and I, I remember being mad at myself for allowing him to do that to us. But you know, I would had such a good experience with Senator Burr coming down and and being truly interested in what he could do because we needed things. Right, we needed the Patriot Act, believe it or not, because we couldn't we couldn't do wiretaps in national security cases. We had no way of doing that. Right, we had we couldn't secure records. You know, from a hotel lot. You know, from a right. hotel receipt or a restaurant receipt or a bank record. We didn't have a a well defined process to get. And invest- these are what the hijackers, done.
1: the hijackers were staying in hotels, and
0: yeah, we needed records, we needed, you know, all these things that could have been the ground radar that, that helped us determine that there were terrorists in our midst. It wasn't a, it was an extremely cumbersome process. If a criminal case, we'd go, you know, go to the judge, get a wiretap, right. uh, get records with a subpoena, grand jury subpoena, or a search warrant, or that sort of thing. But on the national security side, things were very not well defined. And that's why we couldn't pass information back and forth between the criminal and the intelligence side.
1: I'd be derelict if I didn't ask you as we conclude this podcast. There's some recent news that the chairman and CEO of uh, um, a major dot-com company that makes $800 million a year in revenue uh, just resigned. And he resigned because he doesn't want to hurt the business And saying that he actually worked with the FBI with a Russian infiltrator into our country, 23-year-old, I think. And that he's basically accusing the FBI, a small group within the FBI, of infiltrating political campaigns and not warning them about Russia wanting to investigate. He's basically said, we let it happen. We let the meetings occur between this Russian agent and Don Jr. and people in the Clinton campaign without telling them. Is, what do you think about that? I know I'm putting you on the <laughs> yeah, spot no. here because the news is just coming out.
0: Extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary to hear that story. But it Do also you think it's
1: possible within the FBI that a small group of individuals with the higher-ups would have that ability to?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of judgment and discretion in law enforcement on the street and also law enforcement at the, uh, and counterintelligence at that level. And when I say discretion, what I mean is in counterintelligence, we're, ta- we're talking about counterintelligence. The FBI is supposed to be the spy catchers. The CIA are our spies. The FBI our spy catchers. We're supposed to do counterintelligence. We're supposed to stop other foreign, hostile foreign powers from doing things against our interest and gathering intelligence and running operations on us. So to do that, we would do things called defensive briefings. Russians and other agents from other countries, hostile countries, would often target political people and, you know, ordinary citizens if they had a reason to do it, and- very often, if it was especially if it was a public official who was who whose people mm-hmm. were just coming in, for example, Trump just coming into office, neophytes really in the right. political scene. Um, I think that situation would call for a defensive briefing where you would go in and say, "Look, your people are being targeted by Russian intelligence agents. Just be aware of that and deal with it accordingly." Now, if you continue to deal with them after that, and say right. accept. Dirt or other information from the the what you now know is an intelligence agent or someone working for an intelligence right. agent. Now it's on you. But what Comey and Struck and McCabe chose not to do was do that defensive briefing and alert the president and his staff that they were being targeted by Russian intelligence agents. Instead, I feel I feel like they sort of went with it almost to the point of entrapment
1: this is what the chairman of overstock.com says he says yeah. he feels like i was a part of the entrapment and
0: and um the dossier, he's going public on it the dossier as comey said was unverified and it was it was a bunch of junk vladimir putin would not allow his agents to talk to u.s people and give secrets out if he didn't have a purpose for doing that so right. he you know if there were to the extent there were any information that really came from the russian government this is the master puppeteer planting that information that information should have been briefed to the president and his and his people now again if they continue to deal with it and accept it it was
1: much later right in the process where the president was told about this dossier but not before and,
0: he, and only the only part that was the most salacious part right. it was almost like a you know a blackmail a hoover type thing right you know, hey, we, we have information that you're, you know, you're doing these seedy things in hotel rooms with Russian prostitutes. Forgot all the rest, didn't say right. anything else about Russian agents targeting the president's people. And the some president. of his
1: neophytes, which the president barely knew.
0: They were, you know, they had no concept. Mo- the average person doesn't. Have yeah. a good concept of what counter, you know, what intelligence is all about, and what terrorism is all about, really, and how it, how it works. Oh, I had
1: to go through them. I met with the FBI as governor and as mayor, and you helped me educate me. Be careful of these things, and um, I'll always appreciate our relationship, Grace, yeah, and I appreciate your public service. Body. And you've you've told us kind of out of order the good, the bad, and the funny and outrageous. And one of the funniest stories I've heard is you walking into a a breakfast place, almost killing. A, a sting operation against a politician, and that yeah. wasn't set up by the FBI i mean yeah. it, it was based upon information that, that he was working.
0: You can't make some of this stuff up. I've had congress people people from Congress call me and give me information that they got from psychics about you know where the next terrorism attack was going to take place, and you know how how the next crime <laughs> was going to be solved. this <laughs> was happening on a regular basis, so you know there you can't make some of this stuff up.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you and the FBI and also our SBI friends, Bob Schumacher, who, uh, you know, I got a lot of threats and things of that nature and also helping me on the Charlotte riot, which we didn't call press conferences during that time. I probably should have politically and said I helped solve that problem. But our number one priority was Charlotte and the safety, and Bob Schubauer knew what was right then. Some
0: people wouldn't even want to call it a riot out of political correctness, but that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it was
1: a riot, but it was ironic. It was only 250 people, and the media made it look like it was 5,000. Right. So mm-hmm. it was interesting how they played both ends of the spectrum regarding the news on the yeah. on the Charlotte riot. It, it's it's kind of scary. Chris, appreciate your public service, and uh, I got a feeling you're going to get back into public service again. Who knows? Uh, you and I have been talking about this for years. So I, you, you were the hardest know. person
0: to say no to at times. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, you were a great chairman of the Governor's Crime Commission, and we, you, made, you made a difference. And I, I always appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Governor. Chris,
1: thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. To contact the show. Email Show at wbt.com. You can hear more from Pat every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WPT or at wbtonradio.com.